Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Hey, but it's good to have you here this morning. I just want to check in with those that are observing Lent, if you're doing okay and everything's going well. For those that aren't, you still have an opportunity. It's a time, it's a season where we're able to set some things aside in our life, things that maybe we've grown too fond of, grown too close to. We need to put those things aside to observe the season of reflection, a time to mourn our sins, a time to recognize that we really are poor in spirit. And so when we come into the place of Lent, it it gives us, I think, a building anticipation for where we're going to celebrate the the, the Easter weekend. And so we're looking forward to that. Uh, I'm off um, coffee, and I'm still steady. Everything's good. And uh, what an announcement. I'm in the cafe, losing an hour's sleep. You know, that's temptation right there. But... um, um, but but all is going well, and I pray that it's going well for you too, because this is a this is a good season to observe the things of the Lord in our lives. So let's do this today. If you don't mind opening your Bible, if you have your Bible today, to Matthew chapter five, verses one through twelve, we've been in a series for quite some time now entitled "The End of Me," where real life begins, and we're going to continue in studying the Beatitudes. Now, the Beatitudes are an introduction to the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus preached, the first sermon that's recorded, public sermon that's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. And so when we go there, we pay attention to the things that that God is saying to us, that, that, that the Word is saying to us of what a blessed life looks like. Beginning at verse 1, it says this, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and he was seated with his disciples, and his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and they say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Lord, we're not here to just just be amazed, but we're here to have our faith in you, our trust in you deepen. And it's this growing faith that sustains us. It sustains us through some of the most difficult times in life. We recognize today the thing that pleases your very heart, is faith. Lord, let us grow here. Let us deepen here. Let us have resolve in our spirit that we will follow you. Thank you for your word that goes deep into the places of our life that we cannot go ourselves. That by your spirit, you're changing us. You're transforming us. Thank you for the fertile ground of our hearts. Continue to plant the seed of God. We love you and we pray that you will bless us today in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, but you've maybe gone to a place of business. Their signage out there was advertising something. You got into that place of business, and you quickly realized that what was being advertised was not true. I mean, for instance, if you've ever gone to what is advertised as a one-hour dry cleaning place, and you go to the one-hour dry cleaning place because that's what they say. It's a one-hour dry cleaning place, and you walk in, and you say, well, I'll come back in an hour to get my clothes, and they say, oh, sir, that, that's not what we do here. It's going to be tomorrow that you get your clothes, but your sign says it's a one-hour dry cleaning place, uh, and they, they say, well, they know that, but, but you have to wait till tomorrow. Or you go to purchase a car and it says final sticker price and you sit down with the salesperson and before you know it, that sticker price has gone up about $1,000 and you're thinking, well, that wasn't the final sticker price. It was advertised that way, but it wasn't that way. Or when you get one of those contracts from your carrier and you sign it and you don't realize there are a lot of hidden fees in there and there are other things that that you didn't know at first it it wasn't as it was it, it wasn't advertised it was advertised in a way that uh, that that you didn't anticipate it it's frustrating it's frustrating because there is this claim of being something on the outside that wasn't true about what was on the inside and so jesus said blessed are you when you stop hanging signs on the outside that don't really reflect who you are on the inside. Blessed are the pure in heart. You see, in this series, we're discovering God's prescription for living a blessed life, and we have gone through several of the blessings, and we look at blessed are the poor in spirit, and we would think about that that it doesn't make a lot of sense because we usually think blessed are the rich. But God says, blessed are you when you realize that you're spiritually broken, that, that you're spiritually poor. And the moment you do that and you confess that, that's the moment you're blessed. That God's blessing is yours. Blessed are those who mourn. That, that's contradictory. It, it's saying happy are the sad. But we find that in the tears there's a blessing from God that cannot come any other way. Blessed are the meek. But what we might say is... Blessed are those who control and achieve through their own means. That waiting on God is for the indecisive. But God says, blessed are you when you humbly walk out life at God's pace. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now that I'm empty of me, I can be filled by God. Filled with his mercy, his purity, his peace. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those who aren't pretending to be more than they really are. There is a happiness in that. There's a, a joy in that. There's a satisfaction in that. And there is a freedom in that. You see, it is exhausting. It's frustrating. It, it is miserable to live your life as a full-time actor and actress. That wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, you're pretending that you're putting on a show. It just wears you out. There's a lot of energy expended, but where there is an authentic and a pure heart, not a perfect heart, not a heart that's free from all sin, but one that is sincere and authentic, wherever that is, wherever that heart is, God says there is a blessing. 
Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The word pure here is the idea of undivided. It simply means to be authentic. It is a sincere heart. In ancient Rome, sculpting was a popular profession. and There were a lot of sculptors because there was a big demand in the marketplace. And because there was a big demand in the marketplace, there were a lot of sculptors that really weren't very good. Uh, they, they weren't really master artisans. They really didn't have their craft honed in. And, and what they would do is they would want to make a fast buck. And so they put out an inferior product. And the way that they would put out this inferior product and make it look like the master artisans had actually created it or sculpted it is they would, they would fill it in with wax. So when they were almost done, they would look at their, their, their work, their, their sculpture, and they would find the places that, that, they, that, that they didn't do well, where there were blemishes, where the cracks didn't come together, where the artwork wasn't as, as, as good as it should be. They, they would fill that in with wax. And you could see that the master artisans, that, that, that bothered them because they were selling these fake, these inferior products for the same as the masters were getting. And, and they wanted to, to get rid of that kind of fraudulent activity in the streets of Rome. And so one of the things they, they did is they took their, their work, the masters took their work, and they printed a word on it. The word that they pushed into their, the bottom of, of their artwork was, was the word sinacera. It's where we get our word sincere. And so they would put the word sinacera. The word sinacera literally means without wax. Because the inferior sculptures would put wax in the cracks and blemishes. And when, when, when they wanted to test this, what they would do is they would take the artwork out and put it in the street. And they would line it up and people would come by and look. And, and if it was an imposter, after it sat in the sun for a while, guess what happened? Is, is, a, is the work of the imposter just continue to disintegrate right right in front of people's very eyes because the wax would be melting out of the places that that it was put to make it look good and so what Jesus is doing here what Jesus is getting at when he talked about the pure in heart he was saying blessed is a faith without wax a heart that is without wax it is sincere it is authentic You know, as I've been studying the Beatitudes, I came upon something that I thought was pretty interesting. And when you look at the Gospel of Matthew, you realize that that Gospel begins with the first recorded sermon we have of Jesus. The one we're studying now is the Sermon on the Mount, introduced by the Beatitudes. And when you go there and you you look at it, you realize that immediately Jesus is saying to all those reading, blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. And then you flip through the Gospels and go to the last sermon that Jesus preaches in Matthew chapter 23. And it's quite a contrast because there it says, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. The seven woes. Matthew bookends the ministry of Jesus with blessed are and woe to you. Now if you look at those seven woes in Matthew 23, Jesus says, woe to you hypocrites. And if you identify a hypocrite, it's everything they do, they do for show. 
It's not real. It's not pure in heart. And so Jesus begins and ends his ministry with this truth. That blessed are the sincere, but woe to you who are faking it. Uh, the, the word woe, if you're, you, you study language, is an autonomopia. It just means it's defined by the way it's said. Like when someone says bang, you know what it is. That's an onomatopoeia. The word woe is the same thing. You immediately recognize what it means. Woe here and woe to you is something Jesus is saying. And what he's saying is this. He's saying woe is a, is a curse. But it, but it also expresses grieving. That woe is me because there's grief in someone's life. So Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, but cursed is the hypocrite. Happy is the authentic, but grieve the person who isn't real. So there's this blessing that is found in authenticity. When we finally take off the mask, we stop pretending. When your eyes have the ability now to finally be open and see what is authentic, then the Bible says you will see God. And I believe people who, who have a pure heart, they have this ability to see God. But when we think about seeing God, I don't, I don't know what your imagination captures for you. But one of the things that certainly comes to me is really literally seeing God's glory at work. But another thing that I realized is I think the pure in heart have this ability to see God working in all circumstances. They have this ability to see God working in people's lives. People who aren't even of faith yet, they just see God. God working in their life, they have an ability to identify what God is up to and come alongside because there's no pretension. There's nothing that's repelling the person from this person that has a pure heart because a pure heart is endearing. And they come along and they just help people along that, 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 that may need that help, that aren't sure where they are in life, but there's something, there's some activity of God taking place in their life and the pure of heart have an ability to spot that out and come alongside of that and nurture it and encourage it until that, that person really comes to recognize and discover on their own their own value in the eyes of God. That's what I really believe the pure in heart do. As you study through the seven woes, they, they do a pretty good job of identifying the impurities in our heart. And so what I think would be helpful for us to do would be to look at some of these woes and use those to, to, to help us understand what a pure heart looks like. And remember what Jesus is saying here now. He's saying, woe to you hypocrites, woe to you who, who are performing, who are, are not authentic. And so first, I would say this. I would say the end of performance means no more spotlight. I want you to look over the next chapter. It's just chapter 6, verse 1. It's still the same sermon. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says this. He says, take heed that you do not do charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. And he says, otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So be careful that you are not doing the right things for the wrong reasons. This has everything to do with the motivation of our heart. Be careful that you aren't exercising your spirituality and your faith to impress other people. And, and if you do that, Jesus is saying, it's making it very clear. If you do that, if that's the way you live, then you've just received your blessing. That your blessing actually is impressing people. 
It won't come from your Father in heaven. It will come right there at that moment that, that through impressing your motivation to impress people, that is your reward. But if you stop and step off the stage, if you get out of the spotlight, then God will see what you do behind closed doors and he will reward you. And so here's the question I think we ask. Am I living for the applause of men or am I truly living for an audience of one? Um, I know a lot of kids that grow up in church systems, Sunday school classes, and we've done it here, and I think I had a little taste of it when I was young. Not as much as they do today, but it's the giving out of stickers for reward. So if there's a Bible verse to memorize, you memorize that Bible verse and you do it. Why? Because you're going to get a sticker. And I remember when my kids would get stickers, sometimes I wanted a sticker too, you know. And, and it's just something about getting that sticker, that gold star, But I kind of wonder how difficult that mentality is to kind of work out of us. Because I think there are probably a lot of us, a lot of us adults that still want stickers for the things that we do. We want the applause. We want the pat on the back. We want people to say, oh, good job for what you've just done. You've done something very noble. Has anyone seen it? Does anyone see what I'm doing? It's almost the way that we we live life. I think that the things done in secret today are, 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 might be relatively small only because we live in an age of spotlighting. I mean, Instagram and Facebook and all the things that are out there, we're catching people doing all kinds of things. But, but I wonder why we do what we do. How are we motivated to touch the people around us, to reach out to our neighbors? Are we motivated because we want the sticker? Or are we motivated because we know this is the very thing that pleases God? We are, really, and we do live in a Facebook generation. We do. We have this ability to spotlight. Here's what we do, and you you can can agree with me if you want to, not, it's all right. But we, we spotlight things we want people to know about us. I mean, look at Facebook. I mean, does that really tell the true story about your life? I mean, really. Because what are you putting up there? You're putting up there the the family and the friends and huggy and kissy and lovey and all those kinds of things and all the accomplishments. And what we do is we're able to collect those things and what we, we put them up on Facebook and say, hey, look at my life. Isn't my life wonderful? I mean, this is a great life, a grand life. I saw this saying, I love it. It says this, may your life someday be as awesome as you pretend it is on Facebook. (laughs) I mean, we live in a spotlight generation. And what Jesus says here, in order for us to, to be authentic, for us to be sincere, for us to have a pure heart, that what he's saying is you need to step out of the spotlight. You you need to find places in your life and moments in your life where the right hand doesn't really know what the left hand's doing. So here's something else. The end of performance means no more costumes. If you look at the woes in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus condemns the hypocrites because they put all this emphasis on the outward appearance. These religious leaders are... To represent God, but, but, they, but they're not. They're not doing a, a good job with that. In fact, they're doing the opposite of the heart of God because their focus is on appearance, and God's focus is on the heart. And, and he makes it very clear that his focus is on the heart. When you look at Matthew 23, verse 5, 
It says, but all their works they do to be seen by men. He's speaking of religious leaders. They make their phylacteries broad and they enlarge the borders of their garments. Now, some of you might feel a little relieved because you're saying, well, I don't know what a phylactery is, so it probably doesn't mean anything to me. I don't have to worry about that. Well, let me tell you what a phylactery is. A phylactery is what the ancient Jews used to do and is still used today. It's the little leather box that they keep scripture in that God has instructed them in the Old Testament to bind on their foreheads and to put on their wrist. And if you've ever seen that, the binding up of the wrist, the binding of the foreheads, there's that little box. That box is a phylactery. And what it's intended to do is carry scripture in there. That's what they put scripture in there. And that's... They, they put it in it, and really the background to that is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 8. It's the Shema of Israel that says, keep the word in front of you, bind it on your head and on your, your forearms. And then it's reinforced in Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word, O God, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's what it's saying there. That's what it means. That's the background to it. But what happened during the time of Christ is, is someone would come to church and they would walk in and someone would notice that, that they supersized their phylactery. That, that, it, that, it, that, that they, they, they made their phylactery and, and bigger and they, so they could put more scripture in there. And the, the person that saw that looked over and says, wow, I, I, I'm, I know what I'm going to do next week when I come to church. And they did. They came next week and pretty soon you have a bread box on your head. Because they, they had this contest going to, to, tell, to show people how, from the outward appearance, to show people how spiritual they are to show them what they wanted what they thought they wanted people to know about their hearts and then it says here uh, and the borders of your garment what would happen with the spiritual leaders during the time of Jesus is they wore these long robes and there were tassels but but the, the spirituality was determined by this blue ribbon, that, a band that went around the hem of the garment. And, and your spiritual authority was determined by how broad that blue band was. And like the phylactery, people would come to church and, you know, you'd have one guy standing next to another guy. And he'd look down and he'd say, whoa, your blue band just got broader. And I'm, I'm, I have more spiritual authority than you do. And so next week they would come and guess what? The blue band on the bottom of their hymn was a little broader than it was the week before. And you know, by the time you recognize what's going on, you see what's going on, that blue band grew up to their waist because it was a contest. It was a contest. It was trying to do something and say something. Here, look at it. Aren't I good? Aren't I spiritual? Jesus makes it clear that the pure in heart, that the focus is not what's on the outside, it's on what's on the inside. Jesus says you can dress a certain way or you can look a certain way to impress people, but God is not concerned about that way of life. In fact, if you read the New Testament, and I've looked at this, the only place that you're instructed to dress, the only way that you're instructed, is modesty. It's modesty. The other times that dress is is, is talked about is Jesus talking to people who are dressing for show. The, the instruction he gives to, to us is just to, hey, dress and, you know, be modest. God wants sincerity. He wants authenticity. And, and so what does that look like, you know, for you? How do you gauge all of this? 
Do you gauge a, a person's reverence for God by what they wear? You know, there's no, I'm going to break it to you, there's no such thing as church clothes. That, that was made up. Somebody thought it was a good idea. In fact, it's the opposite. Jesus says, woe to you if you equate a person's outward appearance with their eternal standing. He says, woe to you if you question a person's faith because they don't share your sense of style. Woe to you if you demean the worship of God by turning it into a religious fashion show. See, what was happening there and what Jesus was pointing out is these religious leaders, they were honoring traditions at the expense of obeying God's commands. They, they were just saying, you know what, you're, you're, you're really sacrificing what really means, uh, what, what it really means to, to, to grow spiritually, to be a spiritual person, to be a sincere, authentic person. And I, I want to emphasize something here. I think it's important that we never want to honor tradition at the expense of fulfilling the Great Commission. I think this is where we might stumble. This is where we might uh, get our feet hung up and our heart hung up. I think what God is saying here is, listen, no more costumes. That is what a sincere heart looks like. That's what a pure heart looks like. And then there's another thing that we can talk about here. It's the end of performance means no more reciting lines. That we're not just going through the motions. That, that's how Jesus approached prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Again, the same sermon. He says this at verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets. And they may be seen so that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. When we pray, we can pretend to be more spiritual than we really are. We can use religious language. And prayer becomes more ritual than it does relationship. You know, I got to this place, and, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a difficult place in the profession I'm in, you know, because you're, you're the one that gets the nod when it's time to pray. And honestly, when I get the nod at times, I, I don't got nothing. And it would be a great temptation to kind of fake it through, but to just be able to be sincere in heart and say, you know, I, I don't have anything. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to God about this. So I am empty so I can be filled. The language we use sometimes is, um, you know, I'm not sure where we picked it up. And God's okay if you talk to him like you talk to someone else. He's fine with that. In fact, I, I, I talk to you when I talk to Rick Saucedo. I don't say, and thus and thine and thou to him. If I did, he, he may run me out of town. I don't know. So what are you talking about? Maybe we, we pray the way we do is because we think that's what God wants, but it's not. He wants authenticity. 
You see, my intimacy with God is found in some of the most raw and non-religious places of life where fake prayers really don't work. It's really grinding it out with God. It's in the tough places in life. It's where you might be right now. And you're, you're wondering, well, how do I pray? Let me just say this. Just tell God what's on your heart. Just tell him. You know, for, for some reason, we think, well, if we don't say the right thing, you know, if we don't, we don't think the right thing, he's going to strike me with lightning. Now, he's not going to strike you with lightning. Just tell him. Say, God, this is it. This is what I feel. This is as raw as it gets, God. And, 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 and I need to tell you that I need to be authentic with that. True intimacy is only found when the mask comes off, when we pray not for show, but with a pure heart. Have you ever had this happen to you? I remember as a young Christian being in prayer groups. And, you know, it can be kind of intimidating because you're, in you're in a prayer group and you're a young believer and you hear all these wise people pray and, and you're praying and you're praying and then you hear this, this wise believer come up with this great prayer and you catch a few lines in that prayer and you say to yourself, man, I'm gonna use that sometime. I, that, was, that was pretty cool because um, that sounded really spiritual. That really sounded good. And I can't wait till the next time I can pray like that, you know. And the next time comes and you pray like that and God says, what are you doing? We're only at Taco Bell. I mean, you know, why are you praying like that? It doesn't even fit, you know. But we'll, we'll try to do, we try to pull things like that off. You see, God wants a, a pure heart. Annette and I will be married 36 years in a couple of weeks, and, um, and I remember when we first met, I mean, I mean, you know, she, she was the one who inspired me to iron my clothes, you know, I mean, prior to that, it was just grab them out of the drawer and go, but when I met her, I thought, I don't, I don't think she's going to like this if I don't, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look good, I want to look good, you know? I want to look good. I want to, I want to be good. I want to, so our conversation is getting to know each other. You're not really showing your blemishes at first. You're not doing that. You're crazy. You know, you're trying to put out that, that you're, you're good foot forward. You're trying to make the best impression you, you possibly can. And, and that's all fine for a season, but that really wears off because what really has to happen is, is you have to see each other like you really are. You know, and, and, and our best times, really, the moments that we spend together, really, um, sitting on the couch in our pajamas, holding hands. She's not wearing her makeup. I'm not wearing my makeup. We look good. You know, we're just enjoying our time together. And there are times I just think, wow. And, you know, she'll come down. So just kind of the, the, the best times are those kinds of times. I'll, I'll look at her, and she just kind of puts her hair up in a ponytail, and I think, that is real. She, that's the, she's got the Native American vibe going, and that's, she is Native American. And so if some of you think that's racist, it can't be racist if I love the race. It just doesesn't work that way. But uh, it's it just, a, it's, it's, a, it's a relaxed time. It's an intimate time. It's a time of really getting to know each other without the mask, without the makeup on, without all the things that we do there. It's It's important that we do this in our relationship with the Lord, that we just say, Lord, here, here we are, and here I am, and you know, I, 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 I don't want to just keep reciting lines. I just want to tell you what's on my heart. And then lastly is this. The end of my performance means no more pretending. Matthew 23, 3 says this. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, and he's speaking of the religious leaders, that observe and do, but 
do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. This is where we see the difference between a person who is pure in heart and one who is a hypocrite. They don't practice what they preach. Uh, they, put, um, they put up some signs on the outside and make them look impressive, but you go into the inside and you find out that that's not really who they are. And the way that we are blessed is by being pure in heart. That's what it says here. And the way we find purity and we cleanse our heart is always through Jesus Christ. It says we don't stand in our own righteousness, our own cleanliness. We stand in his righteousness by his blood. That's how, that's how that righteousness, that purity comes. But I think in our own lives we have to go and look and say, I, I, I come to you, Lord, in order to receive the cleansing of my heart, I come to you poor in spirit. I come to you and I mourn and shed tears and repent over my sin. That's, that, that's the emptying. And you say, Lord, it's by your grace. It's by your love. It's by all the things that you bring to me that I can be, um, that I can be pure in heart. Confession, the shedding of tears. A year ago, I was invited to... Um, to speak at a conference, and it was during that time of my life, I thought, I, I'm not, I, I can't speak at a conference. I'm, I'm not in any shape to speak at a conference. So I, um, I called the, the, uh, the, the master of ceremonies up, and I said, I, I'm not, I can't. I've got I to gotta decline. I've got to cancel. And so I found a polite way to do that, and they were very gracious, and I did that. And, uh, and, and yet, we were still, Annette and, and my daughter were signed up to go to the same conference. And so, we, we drove to that conference. And, um, and I, I dropped Annette and, uh, and Rebecca off, and I took a drive. Wasn't really run, I wasn't running from anything. I, I just wanted to do the right thing. And and where I ended up, I ended up um, going to an AA meeting with a bunch of drunks, a bunch of addicts. And uh, halfway through, I was profoundly aware of the contrast. You know, be the guest speaker or go to AA, which is true. It was true where I was. I needed to be there and not a guest speaker somewhere. For us, that's hard to do. For me, that's hard to do. It's a tough one. If you're going to really look at your own stuff, you're going to really take inventory. We can lead our life one way, but somewhere along the line, we just have to get honest with that and say, yeah, yeah, this looks good. This looks good. It's in the spotlight. It, it appeals to everything about me, you know, the, the things that I want people to think about me. But I went there, and it was a time for me to mourn, to confess, to develop a pure heart. The mask had to come off, and so that's what happened. A huge change. You know, when I took some time a few weeks ago, you, you've been so 
honest with the things that are going on in your life. Uh, we've had a time where you say, I need, and where it was blessed are the poor, I need, and you were filled in the blank. There are times where you're saying, I'm mourning this sin, and you've written it down, and it's all been anonymous, and what I do with that is I, I've taken those things that you've written down, and I bring them into my office the next week, and I just lay them out and pray over them. I just look at that, and I pray over them. And you know, when I looked at the things that, that you were writing down, uh, the things that you were confessing, um, I realized that most of them were true for me in one, one degree or another. And so the prayer time not only became a time of praying for you, um, but it also was a time of repenting for me. You know, I, I need to tell you that because the role that I'm in, I could be putting on a show. And it's important to confess those things and say those things. So the mask get pulled off, the costume gets pulled off. The reciting lines gets pulled off. And you just stand there before God and you say, Lord, I want a pure heart. That's what I want. Because I know when that happens, I will see you. So today our, our worship response is going to be uh, somewhat ancient with a modern twist to it. Um, the Bible says that when you came to the Lord in the Old Testament, when you came to God, there's a connection between clean hands and a pure heart. But Psalm 24, 3 and 4 says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? Those who have clean hands and pure hearts. In James 4, 8, it says, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. So what we're going to do is we're going to practice an ancient Hebrew ritual. But it has, very, it has a, a huge, very important significance to what you do on the outside connected to what is on the inside. And what God is saying here is the ritual of the cleansing of hands when they would come to the temple was an indication of what they wanted God to do in their heart. Clean hands, pure heart. Clean hands, pure heart. And for obvious reasons, mainly sanitary reasons, we don't have buckets of water here for you to do. Uh, so what we've done and what we're going to do here in our worship response is we've provided the modern equivalent, and they are wet wipes. And, um, and so we are going to come, and there are four stations, two in the back, two here, and then when we begin to worship the Lord, uh, that wherever you are in your seat, you can just come forward and Clean your hands. But you would say, Lord, I'm just going to, I want to come and practice this and be obedient to this because cleaning my hands, if that's what it is representing a clean heart and that's what you say in scripture for me to do, then I want to do that. I, I don't want to hesitate. I don't want myself to get in the way. And sometimes, you know, in the in the practice of being obedient, you want to try to determine or predict the outcome or control the outcome. When it comes to obedience to God, it's not about you controlling that outcome. It's about you just taking the next right step. 
and saying, God, I trust you without that outcome. And, and that begins to remove barriers. And you come here and you clean your hands. And there's another scripture that says to us that with these clean hands, what do we, what do, we do? 1 Timothy 2.8 says, in every place, in every place of worship, I want men and women to pray with holy hands lifted to God. Here are my clean hands. Lord, cleanse my heart. Here are my clean hands. Lord, cleanse my heart. So after your hands are cleaned and the washing of your hands, just return to your seats and lift up your clean hands and your pure heart to God. That's a worship to him. And when you do that, you can be sure that he will show up. It says, and the pure in heart, what will happen? They will see God. And I am anticipating that's what's going to happen for you, is that you will see God. Would you bow your head with me, and I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward, and we're going to continue our morning just with this worship response. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we know that there's, there's really only one way to have a pure heart, and that is to come to you in our poorness, in our mourning, and in our meekness. And we say, Lord, work in our hearts, cleanse our hearts, purify our hearts. <clears throat> and today, we, we just want to be obedient, not with a lot of questions and a lot of thought to, well, where is this going to go and what is this about? But to just understand, it says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Let us respond to that. And when we do, let us receive the blessing of seeing you. Seeing you at work in our life, seeing you at work in the lives of those that we're praying for right now that may not know you. These are the breakthroughs that you, 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 you look for in your people. And when we hold back from you, when we keep those from you, and we ask ourselves, why isn't there a breakthrough in this relationship? It has to do with me. You're using me as an instrument of breakthrough. So Lord, let me not stand in the way of others knowing you, of others growing in you. Lord, open the doors. Let our eyes see you. Even our physical eyes, let our eyes see you at work. Let us be people who come to you with clean hands and a pure heart so that your work may be done. The world depends on it. The world depends on the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Because after the Beatitudes, it refers to us as salt and light. And it's not a coincidence that our hearts would be ready. Our lives are ready for the filling. And the filling is to be salt and light. The purpose is to shine the light of Jesus into this world. Thank you. Thank you for giving us the privilege of worshiping you. Thank you for inviting us to clean our hands and come and have a pure heart. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And we say amen. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. 
Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope. Thank you.